Okay, welcome to the Cozy Campus Coffee Shop. We'll be talking about that in a minute. Uh, this is episode 79 of the Never Iron Anything Comics Review Podcast. My name's Tony. This week we have the return of the co-host, podcast from comics student, soon to be comic student, Amy Clark. How you doing, man? You all right? I'm very well, Tony. It's clobbering time. <laughs> it is. Yeah, kind of is, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, kind of is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now, how you been? How, how's the last few weeks? I think we recorded about a month ago, didn't we? So We did. We, we seem to do these about one a month. Yeah, I've been, as ever, been busy at work. Um keeping it all going but yeah great fun reading lots of comics i often describe good man yeah often describe i was describing this last night to a friend whenever i have um you and a couple of the other co-hosts on it almost becomes like the cold war do you remember when america and uh russia would build up arms and sort of you know we it was like it was, you send me something and i haven't read it so i've got to dash off and read it and i send you something and then we it's like a research cold war i think we have sometimes we do yes yeah. um <laughs> so dear listener i mean as you probably gathered, Tony and I like to do lots of background reading and listening about the subjects we're going to be talking about. And because yeah. you announced this one on the last episode, it was like the, n- the very next day we were swapping stuff, weren't we? That's you know, right. I've read yeah. this. I'm yeah. going to get this. Yeah. I think the thing is as well to me is like when we just drop the news of what we're talking about on the podcast, then people haven't themselves had time to research. But with this one, there's a lot of opinions out there about it. I think it's fair to say, isn't it? Um, yeah. There's a there's a and there's an awful lot of studies that have gone. I think there's probably more books written about this than anything else in comics in a way. It's um, probably so the anyway. most reported in a way, or most reported era of comics, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so, did you want to just remind listeners what I asked you to read um, for the for, for today's pod? So this month is Tony's top tips, where Tony got to suggest the That's book, it. and I thought he would choose something that I might not have heard of, but instead. Tony gave me one of the uh, most famous single issues in the history of comics. This is Fantastic Four, issue 51, cover date June 1966. This man, this monster. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah. it is. And it would have cost it's... you 12 cents, or my version is 10D, 10 pence back in the day and if anybody oh, you've wants... got an original copy look at you, you? i know yeah. yeah and if anybody wants to read along you can get it on comiXology for one pound 60 less than a cup of coffee <laughs> yeah and it's been reprinted untold times isn't it um, um well one of the interesting things was we were trying to work out um where it'd been reprinted because to when we first read this story um did you want to say where you first read it yeah i first read it in the treasury edition um my father had the habit of buying me these treasury editions. I never knew why, because he never really bought me any other comics. Um, but he bought me the treasury edition. Um, I think, is it number 11, which was one of the Fantastic Four ones, with the sort of oversized ones. And I read it in there. What about you, dude? Well, I thanks to the Facebook group, The Mighty World of British Comics, I now know that it was reprinted, this story, in black and white, in Marvel UK, in Mighty World of Marvel, issues 109 and 110 from November 1974, which would have put me, I'd have been at 13. So that sort of fits right. in. This is, this is um, what do they say? The golden age of comics, the golden age of science fiction is 12. So I'm just about right for this, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's I, where I, I first I read it. I might have read it there as well, you know. Right. It's a weird one because I was getting Mighty World of Marvel at the time, but I was obviously a bit tiny bit younger than you. Um, but, yeah, it, just, it really sticks in my head from it being in this Treasure Edition. I think because I had it in the back of a car 
on a holiday once. I think it was one of those. And they were always, always the comics that we sort of remember the best, weren't they? Everybody knows um, those comics from their holiday trips. You know, <laughs> yeah. The, the yeah. primary purpose of comics, to shut kids up in the back of a car. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. This was uh, also reprinted in Essential FF Volume 3, the black and white volume, um, FF Omnibus Number 2, Marvel Greatest Comics 51, which was kind of an early reprint comic. Um, they did a Spider-Man one. They did a couple of them at the time. Um, it's in the Fantastic Four Epic Collection, which is kind of a newer run in the coming of Galactus story. Um, it's in Marvel Visionaries Jack Kirby, which you can get in hardback and softback. That's currently available. Uh, it was in the Ultimate Graphic Novels collection of the Fantastic Four one, and it's Marvel Masterworks FF Volume 6. There you go. So it's all over, the, and I suspect elsewhere as well, because I think they, I think Mighty World of Marvel and the Titans, I think they crossed over a little bit. I think the Titans might have reprinted a couple of things that had been in Mighty World of Marvel yes, as well. Yes, I think so, yeah. I yeah, so I've that. got they a feeling. Had, there was Fantastic Four was in Titans as well, yeah. And yeah. also, I think post, uh, post-Kirby, post I think they were in um, Captain Britain Weekly as well, off the top of my head. Oh, right, okay, yeah. Yeah, I think there's some Fantastic Four in there. Um, yeah, so cover is by Jack Kirby, um, Joe Sinner. Um, writer, Stan Lee, pencils Jack Kirby, which is a subject we'll discuss later. Um, inks, Joe Sinner. Letters, Artie Sim- Simic. Uh Colors Stan Goldberg, although not credited, I noticed. No, it doesn't get credited in the uh, the, the actual comic. No, strangely, yeah. Editor Stan Lee. Um, it's um, like I say, cover dated June '66. It's still quite a book to buy. I think you can buy it quite cheaply on eBay, but it's a low grade copy. I noticed there's a copy with a big bit of orange sellotape down the side of it, which is about. I think it's 15 quid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I paid, I think I paid 25 quid for mine, which is That's quite good. a battered copy. It's a it's a British 10 pence uh, version, which is always slightly, they're worth slightly less than the American originals, but it's, uh, and it's, it is battered, but it's, it's hanging in there and it still exists. That's the thing, you know, yeah. that's the thing I love about these comics, that they still exist. Um, yeah, my treasury edition is battered. Yeah, yeah. battered to hell. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. Yeah. Um, it is one of those comics that every panel is burnt into my retina, I think, somewhere along the lines. Yeah. Everything from, well, we'll talk about it in a minute. But uh, I know we talked a bit about um, having met a couple of the creators. Now, you met Stan, didn't you, at the London Super Comic Con? Well, that was the first one, wasn't it? That was the first London Super Comic Con, which I think was 2012. And I went round the queue twice to meet him with two books and get signed. Uh, one was the Fantastic Four annual, uh, the wedding annual, which I got signed from my brother. And then nice. I got... Um, Amazing Spider-Man 33, which we were talking about off-air, is the Steve Ditko one with Spider-Man trapped under the machinery with the water coming down on him, which they used in the Tom Holland Spider-Man Homecoming movie. And it's one of the... That's a, you know... Yes. That was 1966 as well, so that's another, you know... What a great year for Marvel. We'll get to that in a minute, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we talk a bit about the 80s certain years in the 80s don't we but this really was on fire yeah. wasn't it and you've um, met stan and you've met joe sinnott yeah i met stan at the UKAC he came to which right. i remember when they were publicizing the um london super comic con they were saying stan hasn't been in the uk at a convention since the 70s and loaders loads of us wrote in and went hang on we, hang on. we saw him in yeah. the 80s i shook his hands in the uh in the the reception reception the area it's uh UCAC, um, which uh, Dan Butcher was at as well. We didn't know each other then. Right? then we were both at it. He came over to promote Ravage 2099. Right. Um, the, the superhero who had a dustbin lorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
which was almost a project with him and Ditko. Him and Ditko actually are reading in there. We've both been reading True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stanley by Abraham Reisman yeah. as part of the research, which is terribly depressing. It is. Um, but it does have a few facts in it that um, we certainly didn't know. But yeah, that's been an interesting one. Yeah, I met him there. I met him in, um, he was, we, I didn't know he was there. Um, I'm standing there and I'm looking at this bloke going, fucking hell, that's Stan Lee. And he sort of came, literally walked past me and I shook my hand and thanked him and he said something to me and then sort of walked on. But like ever so generous and he was just chatting to everyone. He was quite, he was, he was being Stan. Yeah. You know, he was just being Stan. And then the other, I never met Jack, sadly, uh, but I met, I met um, Joe Sinner a few years ago at, um, New York, um, and I went over, and he was um, he, he was the loveliest dude, absolutely lovely. He, um, I bought a sketch from him, um, which is the reason that sketch is, I sent you a picture of his double signed because he signed it in front of me. Yeah. Um, again, um, of uh, Nick Fury, which I got framed, but he, yeah, and he, he talked to me for ages and ages and ages about um, swing music and Bing Crosby. Right. <laughs> it's just like for ages, <laughs> and this bloke came over. Um, who he decided to introduce to me at great length. And he was a bloke who every year at New York brought him a CD with a load of rare Bing Crosby songs on it. Oh, right. Um, okay. And he handed it to him while we were chatting. And um, what well, I forget the name of those those things you can buy on the street in New York. They're like twisted twisted bits of bread, but they're like, if you, they suck all the liquid from the whole of the world up when you eat them. But he was eating one of them and it's crumbling all over the picture and everything, but I didn't mind. Right. Yeah. But nobody was at his table. He was like, it was one of those where. Well, I mean, you know, we talk about his artwork and, you know, some of his inking. Yeah, and I've seen your your Jack Kirby, uh, sorry, your Nick Nick Fury sketch from him, and it's just lovely. Yeah, he's great. It's been over my desk for years, yeah. yeah. Absolutely lovely. Um, The, yeah, I think what you mentioned there about Kirby at the time was drawing four issues a month. Um, We will, dear listener, get onto the subject of who, who wrote what later in this episode as well um did you want to give a little summary of what it's about Eamon, so this this for people who don't know fantastic 451 is a um it's a thing and uh i suppose reed richards issue uh ben yeah. grim the thing is wandering the streets of new york he's a bit pissed off because in the previous issues his girlfriend alicia masterson had been interested in the silver surfer and yeah. he ends up um Basically, there's a sort of mad scientist who lures him into his apartment, uses some form of transformation machinery to swap places with Ben Grimm. So he becomes the thing, goes back to the Baxter building where Reed Richards is working on an experiment, quite an important experiment which we'll talk about in a moment. And he's trying to prove that he's the better of Reed Richards, who he hates, um, yeah. But somehow or other, he gets caught up in the Fantastic Four and their sort of selfless heroism. Uh, and there's an adventure. It sort of ends with an adventure in the negative zone. Probably the first adventure in the negative zone, I, I would guess. But anyway, so, yeah, yeah it's a thing issue. It's um, Ben it Grimm, and uh, it says a lot about Ben Grimm. It says a lot about Reed Richards. It says quite a bit about this strange, mystery, mad scientist who's only makes this one appearance uh, and it's a great issue he's i think he's briefly in 50 you um, see a glimpse of him i think or something yeah he sort of he's he, he, they set up the following issue yeah and then i think i'm right in saying he comes back later because he gets called 
the changeling. I think they give him a name, don't they? Don't they? Isn't he? He gets a name later. Ricardo. He gets named as Ricardo Jones, and I think his brother turns up and tries That's the right. same trick on the Hulk, and it yep. goes wrong or something. I believe. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's um. Let's let's should we let's talk a little bit as we go through it now. Um, the cover for for, for starters, I actually found the cover an interesting one because it there's a there's a especially when you see the cover and page one next to each other, there is a similarity to the images, isn't there? There is. And um, you're going to, you know, if you're going to pick two great images of Ben Grimm, the thing from the yeah. Fantastic Four, you've got the cover and then immediately open the page at the first page. We're going to talk about it in a minute. So on the cover, he's standing there almost as if he's holding Reed Richards' future in his hands. Sue Storm is appealing to him to help. There's great... Kirby machinery in the background and then Reed Richards is yeah. in the negative zone so I reckon I said this in our notes I reckon this is the first appearance of the negative zone and I think now scholars might tell me wrong but I think this might be the first appearance of Kirby Crackle on the cover of Fantastic Four. Ah, oh, interesting yeah now you sent me an article on Kirby Crackle which um because it, it, it in, interior wise, it had appeared much earlier, hadn't it? In like, there's there's some dating back to the golden age, I think. Isn't He'd it? used it in his 1940s and 1950s comics. Jack Kirby had on interior pages, um, but it's when he tackles the Marvel stuff and the cosmic stuff that he really starts to use Kirby Crackle. And for anybody who doesn't know, Kirby Crackle is a popular reference to Kirby's technique of using um, black dots to indicate a sort of simmering cosmic energy and it became one of his signature um, artistic techniques and you see it on the front cover here and I think I hope you know somebody can correct me if I'm wrong please write and tell me but I think this might be the first Kirby crackle on the front cover and It's just, it's one of his things, you know, it's why we talk about Jack Kirby so much, is that he's got this instantly recognisable style, which is so exciting, it's so dynamic, it literally bursts off pages. And here on this cover, we've got a wonderful depiction of the thing, we've got Reed Richards in trouble in the negative zone with Kirby Crackle around him, Sue's appealing for help, it's just, you know, yeah, you just want to turn the page straight away, don't you? It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And this... Um, I like. I do like that Kirby Crackle. It's almost like to me, it's like a dark matter crust around whatever energy is being sort of shot at, appearing, you know, in the distance. Yeah. You know, in the yeah, there's there's. It's so individual, but it's so it's so good. Um, yeah, I know the. So to to lay the um the scene, so we had a three part Galactus story that's come preceding this. Um, and then afterwards, we go into a two-part black. The introduction of the Black Panther story. Yeah. After this, so it's it's a it's a funny one. I don't really want to call it a filler issue, but there's a certain element that it it's the pause between two big big stories, isn't it? Two big legendary stories, but it's as strong as either to me because it doesn't. It's not an overcomplicated thing. There is a little bit about Johnny Storm, which we'll get to in a bit i'm sure but um yeah and the cover is representational of the story inside without being a moment from the story almost yeah you know yeah and very good i mean i know we've mentioned this again in our notes if you think about those 10 issues of fantastic four round about issue 50 where kirby and stanley and jack Jack kirby introduced the inhumans uh tony which is the only member of the inhumans who can't talk (laughs) 
Uh, Lockjaw. <laughs> well done. Um, <laughs> they introduce Galactus and the Silver Surfer. Uh, they have this issue, which introduces Negative Zone, and then in the next two issues, they're going to introduce the Black Panther. I mean, you know, bloody hell, what a run. <laughs> Talk about ideas. I know. Yeah. yeah, it is incredible. I mean, yeah, who who thought of what around this time? Is that there's? It's interesting because there's a lot of stories about who thought about what in relation to the Galactus story, and there's a lot of st- um, um evidence about who thought about what in relation to the black panther story because they both have a relevance you know the galactus and the silver surfer is an interesting you want the fantastic four to go up against god is allegedly the quote that stan gave and the next one the black panther being sort of jack very later in years saying look i wanted a black character and and my best friend as a kid was a black kid i wanted a black character and stan saying i think we needed representation that's why i developed him so there's a little bit of an argument but this kind of sits in the middle and there's not a huge amount of conversation about why and what and when this was created sadly yeah you know when we look back in the history of it and this year has been analyzed you know no end in probably the the 10 books you and i have read in the last two weeks leading up this episode you know it really has been and there's whole um jack kirby collector has put out a book that is basically month by month working out what was going on and this this doesn't really feature in who did what and what what was said but saying that as a kid and probably because i read that what if issue which kirby came back and drew later um i always felt that Reed was Stan and Ben was Jack in a way. Yeah. I don't know. You know. I've always seen them as parallels, yeah. yeah. Uh, ben Grimm coming from Yancey Street in a sort of tough part of New York, just like Jack Kirby comes from, was it Essex Street was where he came I think, from? I think. Yeah, there was serious Essex Street and Norfolk Street and stuff. Do you know what? Every time I'm in New York, I always mean to go down there and, like, right. you know, have a drink outside, but I've never done it. But yeah, it's somewhere down there off the Bowery, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And it's a tough, you know, it was a tough area. He grew up in tough times. Um, he was, you know, he was a no nonsense character in a way, wasn't he? We know he had his various yeah. scraps and scrapes as, he's, uh, as a youngster. Um, so I've always seen Ben Grimm as Jack Kirby. And yeah, I've always seen Reed Richards as Stan Lee. Yeah, yeah, me too. It, interesting, I might be worth bringing up now because another book that we've read in the last few weeks is the Tom Scioli Jack Kirby um, biography, which is told first person. It's an interesting style. Hmm. Um, I enjoyed it. I think I messaged you saying it was worth a read and you'd read it already. But the I, I there was there wasn't a huge amount I didn't know, no. but it was nice to see it like that. But I think the for those that are looking to do a bit of a dive into Jack and Stan and the history that we're going to talk about here a bit is um, I liked it, but your reply to me really got me thinking about the anime version of Jack Kirby's face. And I, I'm not sure it was needed. I think it, it sets out almost in a way to make him seem a little bit more innocent than even he would have wanted to you to believe, you know, it, it bugged me because, yeah. you know, it's a good book. Um, it's beautifully drawn throughout, I like the way that the pages look like old 50s and 60s comics, a bit like this issue yeah. that I've got in front of me now. But as it goes yeah, on, yeah. he develops, the Kirby character develops these big anime eyes that become his, like, his signature feature. Yeah. And it really bothered me. Makes him, it look, did, yeah. makes him look childlike all the way through, right up until the end when he's becoming ill and, you know, the end is near. Um, yeah. I would have much rather... It did, he, it did bother me as well, actually. Yeah, yeah, because everybody else in the book is portrayed pretty much as they were. Looks like photos of them from the time. 
apart from Stan. When they get when he gets when Stan gets his glasses, his like shaded glasses and his and his syrup. beard and his syrup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, even House Roy, House Roy was uh, just normal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it if you want a nice comic history of Jack. He does use, for example, there's that famous picture of Jack standing in the street smoking a cigar just on the street. And if he could have just drawn that, I'd have loved it. But he he adds the anime face to it, which yeah. I don't know. But it's it's an interesting book and it's worth it. I think it's not ex- super expensive. I thought it was all right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, so yeah, so let's start on the interiors. So, page one is um, a page that you're you've got a lovely interview which you sent me with the person who owns this page, haven't you? So yeah, so this is page one. It's the title page. It's got the credits on it. It says this man, this monster. It is. I'm going to say, Tony. I think this is probably the most uh, famous single image of Ben Grimm as the thing. Agree. Yeah, um, he's standing in the rain. And the rain is just like cascading off his body. And it is a beautiful page, um, inked by Joe Sinnott. And and this has happened to me a couple of times where I've got in touch with somebody on... I went looking for the original art to see if it still existed, Tony. Okay. And I got in touch with the guy who has You've it. You've got your his... lump sum coming, haven't you? You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, the guy who owns this page. And uh, I found him on Comic Art Fans, and I got in touch with him, and he said, well, give me a ring. And then I asked him if I could record it. So what we're doing, um, for anybody listening to this on the day it comes out, tomorrow, probably, on the Mega City Book Club feed, there'll be an interview with a chap called Mark McDermott, and he owns this page. And like yourself, Tony... He was a big fan of Joe Sinnott. He met him several times. Considered they became himself. friends, didn't they? They became friends, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, you know, like with you, you would talk, you know, you talked to him about Bing Crosby and show tunes and crooners. He would talk yeah. to Joe Sinnott, not about artwork, about baseball. But anyway, yes. Uh, okay. All right. And, yeah, that's uh, – you really need do need to tune into that because it is a lovely interview, man. It's really good. Yeah. I think there's a whole line in podcasts around finding people with the original art and hearing about the story of it. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. Especially he tells a story about bidding for it, and I was, like, on the edge of my seat, and I knew he got it at the end. You it's know, a so. very exciting story. Listen in tomorrow. Yeah. When podcasts collide, as we say, <laughs> we're right. having a crossover event. Oh, annual crossover event. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so – Ben, um, he's, he's he's sad. Alicia has got the hots for the Silver Surfer, even though he hasn't got any genitalia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's he's wandering the streets of New York. And do you know do you know one of the nicest bits about this is he comes he bumps into a couple of cops, um, and it's not done to show the cops as bad guys, which we seem to get a lot these days. It rather does piss me off. Yeah. And uh, we've just got it in um, the Winter Soldier and the Falcon series. And this is, if you were a cop and Ben Grimm was on your beat, you'd fucking like that dude. I'll tell yes. you that now. Yeah. You know? And they ask him if he's okay. And he kind of just sort of wanders off. He's extremely sad and goes and stands in the doorway that happens to be the doorway of the villain. Yes. <laughs> Which is one of the many coincidences that happen in this story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just happens so, yes. Although I think the villain has been somehow using one of these Kirby machines to somehow influence Ben's mind, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 The, but yeah, he turns up on the villain's doorstep by chance. Yeah. The other the other coincidence thing, I remember reading this as a kid and thinking, why is his head like a fleshy version of the thing? <laughs> That's the other... 
that's the other thing because he's got quite a strange Kirby shaped head, isn't he? Kirby drawn shaped head. He said he was the perfect choice for my experiment because of our slight skeletal resemblance. Well, it's yeah. more than slight. He's got yeah. this massive, <laughs> the massive forehead brow ridge like Ben Grimm himself. Yeah. yeah. So he manages to do something that no other um, supervillain has managed in the history of the Marvel Universe. He manages to drug the thing immediately with a cup of coffee. That's some strong drugs there. Easy as that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ben Grimm lays on the couch and it adopts a position which I'm, I'm – always jealous of which looks like the most comfortable sleeping position ever on that couch it's just just brilliant (laughs) (laughs) i love the thing they drew him so he fitted into wherever he was in sometimes sometimes he's big sometimes he's small isn't he yeah uh, yeah and um uh, this is a note i sent to you i want to talk to you about machines in wardrobes (laughs) (laughs) the guy the nameless at this point villain opens his wardrobe door and there's a kirby machine in there and yes. um, you know, of course there is. You know, yep. <laughs> you're yep. a mad in scientist. You're living in a fairly small New York apartment, but of course you've got space for a, a mad Kirby machine in your wardrobe. Yeah. With um, um, then I'm not sure exactly why he takes his shirt off. I'm guessing he thinks it's going to rip. Yeah. Um, in order to, and I remember looking at that as a kid and thinking, that's a brilliant machine. Look, look at the way it's sort of shaped around his head. That's where the power is going into. Yeah. Um, and it, it slowly transforms him into into the thing. Now, this is the thing of, um, not for anyone who's read the first couple of issues of Fantastic Four, where the thing is just a bit of rubble, really, isn't he? Yeah. I do much prefer this. Um, I can imagine this is a right bastard to draw, the thing. The way all he's sort of all the rocks. Yeah, yeah, all the rock face. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, this is the classic look of the thing, as opposed to as, as he looked in the first early issues, when he was just like a big pile of mud or concrete or something. Now he's really like the rocks. He's got yeah. that real orange hue from uh, uh, who was it? Stan Goldberg's color in it, and he's got the yeah. Joe Sinnott. Yeah, this is great inking. Um, so yeah, he looks great, and yes, even when just lying down on the couch, he looks great, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, yeah, I, I do love it. I genuinely think that. Um... I read anything the thing's in. I think the th- when the thing was in the Avengers for a while, it just became a thing comic to me. Right. Um, I always think probably one of the greatest losses to comics was the fact that Jack never drew Marvel 2-in-1 interiors. I think to introduce a different character every week crossing over with the thing was just such a great series. Um, and I'd love to have seen Jack do a lot of that. Um, yeah, pretty amazing. So this baddie heads off. He thinks I'm going to go into the Fantastic Four. Um, and he heads off, and and um, Sue says, "I'll bend you back." Um, what's the line I wrote down from Reed? I've no time for prima donnas here. He just <laughs> says. Yeah. The thing is, Which, did you did you think when you were a kid? Did you always think Reed Richards was a bit of a dick? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. and his missus is always there's always that come on, I've made you tea, Reed yeah. thing going on. But it's. I'm reading between the lines and thinking he's not paid enough attention to her in the bedroom. That's how I think of it now, you know. And that's why she almost went off with fishy-smelling Namor and all this sort of thing. Yeah. And there's um, also yeah. – because he's supposed to be like – I don't know. Is he At this point, he's probably the smartest guy in the Marvel Universe, Reed Richards, isn't he? Yeah, and, that's it, yeah. And there's a couple of points in this issue where he's pretty dim, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's a bit later on where she, you know he finds out that Sue knows what's going on in his secret locked room, and he says, "Well, how would you have got in there?" You know, she's the bloody invisible woman, really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The um, and but the, this story is this shows what they did with stories back in the day because everything is fitted in. If somebody had taken over Ben Grimm, um. They would have spent weeks before the original Ben Grimm turned up, wouldn't they? These yeah. days, or months, rather. The this this one, it's at the turn of a page. <laughs> Literally, yeah. There he is yeah. on the next page. Yeah, yeah. And he turns up in his bright green suit, um, and says to Reed, "I'm Ben Grimm." And obviously, Reed knew Ben Grimm. They went to college together. They were best so, friends. Yeah. And, you yeah, know, it's, a, it's a weird one, that isn't it? Reed Richards says, "Oh no, you just look a bit like him, and you sound a bit like him, but you're not him. Go away. I'm the brightest man in the in the universe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've got a, I've got an experiment to do, so I'm busy. So yeah, off you go. Yeah. And, and Ben Grimm even says, "Reed Richards, boy genius, and what a laugh." <laughs> <laughs> the the bit I like, yeah, he doesn't he? Yeah, I like that bit. Yeah, the um. I remember that picture of him pointing as a kid. I'm thinking, that's amazing. That's how you point. Yeah. Look at that drawing. Talk about dramatic. The bit before that as well where um, a fake thing crushes the cylinder, the metal, the steel cylinder with his two fingers. Yeah. I remember that, I remember that so well from being a kid. It's so full of personality and so full of character, you know. The fact he takes that time to do it in the picture is great. And he does it with literally two fingers, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the next uh, couple of pages later, we get the big um, Isha, Isha, Isha machine, don't we? We get that. So there's three full-page splash pages in this issue. The first one is the yep. man, this man, this monster, the first page. Then we get this one, which is this like weird MC Isha-designed uh, Kirby machinery on a full-page splash with Reed and Sue and Ben, or, you know, fake Ben at the bottom of the page. And it's just glorious, isn't it? I mean, it's, it really is. it's yeah. just, it's Kirby. You know, he invented and designed and drew these wonderful machines that leap off the page. And the angles probably don't work. It's all sort of weird. But it's just yeah. so much energy. And you just look at it and you think, yeah, yeah, that's the future. That's what I want. I want machines yeah. that look like that. I don't want an iPhone. I want one of those. Yeah, I agree. And... There's, it's uh, when I first reread this the other day, I thought because the 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 story goes is that Stan would tell, give Jack a vague idea about what he was gonna he was gonna he wanted the story to be, if that, then Jack would go away and create it, and then it would go back to Stan, and Stan would write it, so he would write the dialogue in, and I know occasionally Jack was quite frustrated by the fact that a lot of the dialogue. Um, made the story go in a different way and occasionally even had to redraw certain things towards the end of the comic. Yeah. But this one, um, I'm, I'm guessing Stan had some control over where the lettering went. He leaves the, the top third of the page just to be the crazy machine. Yeah. It's not super overwritten. Um, there's, it's a little, you know, it's not, it's not exposition heavy and he lets Jack's work breathe. I think on that page, which I kind of like, yeah. I think that works. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, I mean it is good. Beautiful. And then we go to sorry, mate. Um, no, carry on. Yeah, yeah. So then we go to a sort of the um, the uh, cozy campus coffee shop, um, <laughs> hey. which is <laughs> which is a sort of little insert, um, which is basically Johnny Storm and uh, Wyatt Wingfoot appear um, and kind of get in an altercation in a diner. 
Now, I don't know if you noticed this, and this might this is probably just me reading nonsense into it, but Cozy Campus Coffee, KKK. Oh, okay, right? yes. And the villain in it is called Whitey. Yeah. And Wyatt Wingfoot is an indigenous person, I think, isn't he? I think yes. he's a... Uh, He's a, um, a Native American, yes. Yes. Now, is there some kind of subliminal thing? Is there some kind of Stan and Jack thing going, look, you know, because they, you know, they were right on guys, you know, they were trying to do the right thing, I always like to think. Are they saying, is that them saying, look? I think that's, I, I haven't, I've never come across that reading before, Tony, but it's fascinating because they are, they are, as you say, they were a very progressive creative partnership who put a lot of stuff in yeah i mean you know some of it looks a little bit dated you know the attitudes as you said to sue storm look very dated now but yeah wyatt wingfoot um who's like no nonsense and this character who's literally called whitey the big-mouthed football star of the campus yeah yeah, yeah. oh blimey okay yes it's interesting yeah, I've always liked White Winfoot because he's just a dude, isn't he? He's like a big dude. He's just and, literally, um, yeah, he's a big, he become, smart dude, yeah. He, doesn't he go out with She-Hulk at one point? That's frightening for any bloke, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, the, uh, so they have this sort of altercation in the diner, which I'm right, am I right in saying here, doesn't go anywhere in the future? So, I don't think this whole football, I want you to be the football star on the team thing, does that go further? I can't remember. I think they wanted, or Stan wanted, to have the sort of private life stuff for Johnny Storm. He wanted him going off to college because it was yeah. even announced, I think, on issue 50 on the cover, wasn't it? Johnny Storm goes to college. That's right. And yeah. I suspect that possibly because they were just fizzing with too many ideas, they didn't come back to it. It never went anywhere um, because they've got the Black Panther to do and then they want to bring back Galactus. And, you know, it was just... Then we got uh, the Inhumans again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, well, we yeah, haven't heard from I... Doom for a while, so, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, it's good. I actually think there's more of a stamp of Sinner in those um, three pages than um, we get elsewhere in the book there's something about the faces that are more there's a cleaner i don't know cleaner lines the right word but there's a cleaner line in my head to what Sinit does and if you look at panel two the faces are more sinity i'm gonna say is right. a new adjective i just made up yeah um but they just it, it's not quite as much kirby for me right in those two Maybe yeah. these were very much just layouts from Kirby and uh, yeah, Joe because, yes, they're slightly more... They're not quite the Kirby faces that we recognise, are they? Yeah, that's right. Interesting, Sinnott was um, quite a dude. Uh, you know, as an artist, an amazing dude. But he was brought on later on into the Fantastic Four when it was the figures on the Fantastic Four were, were allowing it that they could get in a better-paid... Inca, so that's right. one of the reasons he came in on it. I asked um, Joe about this as well, and he he didn't meet Jack at the time. They were they never knew each other at the time. It was only um, years later, I think, when convention started that they actually met each other. Yeah, it was, was it was it one of the San Diego Comic Cons they met at? I think it might have been. Yeah, in the late seventies yeah, or eighties yeah. or something, and it was the first time they'd ever actually physically met. And they'd worked together so yeah. well during the 60s. But, you know, it was just, you know, stuff sent out, I guess. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, and then we, we segue back into um, the the experiment that <laughs> that Reed has just sort of thrown himself into. Yeah. You know, um, 
I did I did I did love that panel previously which said um it's just a just a square panel of Reed pressing a button and it says danger experiment space time which he's created this label for the button he has to press which I thought was pretty impressive um got to label the buttons and properly he has yes exactly yeah <laughs> he's uh he's got um he, he's basically on a long bit of rope yeah un- that's unraveling from his belt and holding it at the other end is the thing um and he throws himself into the negative zone yep. um through this sort of portal um and then we got a lovely um and the next the next uh, one page spread which you were going to mention i'm sure what did you want to talk a little bit about the next one so it's quite different isn't it yes so then we get into the last full page i think which is reed richards floating in the negative zone and this was when kirby we know was experimenting with collage and putting yep. various images on the page and then inking his characters or rather drawing his characters in uh, on top of this so we get we get a couple of pages of Reed Richards or a couple of panels of Reed Richards going deeper into the negative zone. Then we turn a page and we get greeted with this. Um, and he says, you know, I'm drifting into a world of limitless dimensions. It's the crossroads of infinity, the junction to everywhere. And we know that college campuses with a C were, you know, big readers of this stuff yeah. in the 60s. And we know in the 60s, you know, people were experimenting with um, mind-altering substances quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you can see yeah. why. They were looking at pages like this. Some of Stan's dialogue about, you know, I'm at the crossroads of infinity, and they were all going, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you they, know, they would just stare at that one page for hours. I would imagine so. Loose, you know, you look yeah. at this page because it looks like in a way that you should be almost seeing hidden images in it itself. Um, yeah. But yeah, what a page. I mean, you know, there's three splash pages in this issue and they are all worth remarking about. They're all remarkable in different ways. Um, you know, the standalone issue, ish, image of Ben, the Kirby machine, and then the photo collage of this one. It's yeah. just fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. And he went on, he did a number of sort of double page spreads and stuff like that, um, which we would have read probably initially in the Mighty World of Marvel as a black and white page, which is yeah. pretty impressive as well. I think it still works. Um, I was chatting to Tom Curry last night. He's a big, big um, Jack Kirby fan. He says he loves reading him in black and white. He says it's just the, the quality of the line and everything. It's just incredible. And I can see that as well. That, I mean, you know, again, I keep we keep coming back to it, but that picture of Ben Grimm, which um, I don't think we mentioned, Evan Dorkin did when we did the Eltonville Club, because he uh, parodied he yeah. that this man, this monster. He became this fan, this monster, didn't he? And he That's did right. that page. I about that. Yeah. yeah. So there's a link there to a previous episode that we've done together. But yeah, yeah. what a page! Um, yeah, just fantastic. It's it's amazing. The thing is. Um, We'll, we'll get on to what happens next, but the thing is the most... I'll, I'll go on about him again now, because I think he's kind of the most relatable character in the Marvel Universe. We, it, Because of issues like this, because of what we feel here, I read um, Hand of Fire, which is a book by James Hatfield. Um, which oh, is yes, he sent me an image, yeah. Kirby's work. Um, and he refers to them as creature heroes. These were the first of Kirby's creature heroes, the Thing, the Hulk, and some of the Inhumans. Um, that and they are powers that come at the cost of their humanity, which is what this book is about, isn't it? This comic yes. is about. Um, they and because of that, that tragic quality that we get from Ben Grimm, because half of me thought I, I really like him, but he's sad. This is what I was thinking as a kid, but I don't want him to give his powers up because it'd stop him being in my comics. 
Yeah. That's kind of the feeling I had for it. Well, um, because he's a tortured soul, you know. He is a tortured soul. And it's, um, again, it's a bit like, I suppose it's a bit like the swamp thing we talked about, that he's trying to find, he's always yeah. trying to get back his lost humanity. And always the thing that struck me and the thing that struck Ben Grimm was the other three members of the Fantastic Four pass for human. They've gone away, they've been changed, but they can still pass for human. The thing can't. And he can't turn it on and off. He can't, you know, he yeah. can't hulk out or anything like that. He's just Ben Grimm. And at various points in the comic history, he gets turned back to Ben Grimm very briefly. And yeah. it always seems just to add to the tragedy of it. Um, yeah. yeah. There's one where they, he creates him like a an exoskeleton thing, doesn't he, that he wears. Yes. Um, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a... He's a solo hero as well. The Thing series, the comic series, The Thing, is a great run. Really good. Um, where he stays on that planet from Secret Wars and wanders about, and then he gets involved in wrestling, and you know, goes and meets various girlfriends, and yeah, it's, it's a great, it's a great thing. Um, and I'll mention another podcast, the Awesome Comics Podcast, uh, episode one eighty, which was the one you did after Stan Lee passed away, and you did an episode about Stan. Okay, and I think. You know, as you guys said on that podcast, one of the things about Stan and Jack's heroes was we sort of felt like we knew them. You know, we could read yeah. about Superman and Batman, but we never felt, you know, I, I I never felt the connection with them. But because of Peter Parker yeah, and Ben Grimm, you felt like you knew these characters. You felt like they were wrestling with some of the same things that you were wrestling with as a teenager, you know, and you could you could make yeah, all sorts of... You can make all sorts of references about, you know, Ben Grimm's skin problem, for instance, or something like that. You know, the fact that he's this sort of this bizarrely shaped um, creature who can't relate to other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, that, that was the power of I Marvel think, Comics. Yeah. And Stan talks a lot about that, doesn't he? He says, we can't do that. You can't. That can't happen because we they still need those feet of clay. We still need we still need the vulnerabilities and that Spider-Man's still got to worry about getting home to give Aunt May a tea. Yes. You know, and stuff yeah. like that. He's still got to make enough money to pay off his bicycle. Um, you can't be Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne would just buy another bicycle. Yes. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting stuff, isn't it? Um, the another, another thing quote I found of Jack's was Jack said, um, there's a little, they said, you know, how much do you know, how much of your characters do you base on yourselves? And he said, there's a little bit of myself that remains in everything I, I create. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And again, another nod to the fact that sort of probably there's something going on here between him, between Reed and Reed and Ben. The, one of the few things I'm not a big fan of the movies and I'm not a huge fan of the fantastic four movies, although they have their moments. The, one of the things they do get right in that at moments is the ribbing that Johnny storm gives Ben. Yeah. They, they're, they're forever pay he's forever playing tricks on him yes that's um, right and, yeah. and there's there's a humanity to that as well there's you know we've all got the friends who you know we play tricks on constantly mm. um because we know they can take it yeah interesting yeah strangely enough for me it's you tony <laughs> 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 uh, but there you go yeah i'm more of the sea storm you know yeah <laughs> <The>, uh... <laughs> um Okay, so where are we now? So what do we get to? Uh, we got to. So the thing decides. There's a, there's a lot of inner monologue going on here, yeah. where suddenly the bad guy becomes the good guy. D decides to you know save this this person who is an honourable person, uh, and he throws himself. The, the the rope rips, and he throws himself into the uh, 
into the negative zone. He meets um he he meets but doesn't reveal yeah to um read who he is. And the the moment at the bottom where he's shaking shaking his hand, I always thought it was a great panel. That's a brilliant panel. Yeah. Um where he's sort of but looking away. I think that's marvellous. And immediately fake thing picks him up and throws him. Now I'm sure there was probably many thousands of other versions of that ending that the genius that is Reed could have figured out, but yeah. um, it works for the story, doesn't it? You know. And I I like to think, you know, rereading it, I like to think that this nameless uh, villain, uh, who's not only taken on the shape of Ben Grimm, he's sort of somehow been infected by the consciousness of Ben Grimm. Yeah. You know, and at this point. He he does the right thing, you know. Um, he realizes that Reed Richard was doing these experiments for the good of humanity without any fame or fortune attached to it, and yeah. uh, he throws him back. He throws him back through the portal while he himself is just going to drift off and die and being wiped out in an antimatter collision um, in the negative zone. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing the influence that images have when you were a kid and you saw them and the way you think on them now, but there's even to the point where he's got this thing on his hip that sort of unravels and it's like the rope that unravels. It's like a cord. Yeah. And, um, this, this is how, how much of a nerd I am. I bought, um, about, well, about 20 years ago, I bought a, um, a new, um, hose pipe for the garden and it looked a bit like that. So in my head, I'm thinking I could probably put that at my waist. That'd be right. That'd look all right. It's just like stupid stuff like that. And the, the way he throws him as well is just, I don't know. It just, it's like he's throwing a um, a javelin or something like that. It just looks brilliantly. And you get those movement lines. You get a couple of movement lines for the, the, the path of Ben's arm and then the movement lines of Reed flying off into the distance. It's just yeah. it's just so dynamic and exciting. Um, and yeah, that sort of stuck with me, that panel. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the way he sits on the... The rock and the, the sort of floating bits of bits of rock in space was a very much a Kirby and Ditko thing, wasn't it? We used to see a lot of that, uh, and the negative zone seems to be full of that. Um, as does the sort of dream places that Ditko's Doctor Strange used to go to. There's always seemed to be these sort of weird sort of platforms just all over the place. And do you remember that? Did you go to that panel at London Super Comic Con about Jack Kirby that Jonathan Ross and Dave Gibbons were on? Oh no, I didn't go to that. And no. Dave Gibbons describes this episode when he was in school drawing. He was drawing this astronaut who was sort of tied to a rock floating in space. And the the art teacher said to him, why are you drawing that? And he said, because I saw it in a Jack Kirby comic. And then <laughs> years later, when he became Dave Gibbons that we all know and love, and he was doing some introduction for another um, Jack Kirby collection, and his agent contacted him and said, you know that piece of artwork from one of Kirby and Simon's space comics of the guy floating in space? It's up for sale. Do yeah. you want it? And, of course, Dave Gibbons bought it, so he now owns his Kirby Grail page. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, but, yeah, okay. rocks and characters floating in space, that's a Kirby thing, isn't it? Yeah, one day when we're millionaires. Yeah. I mean, yeah. fine. Or when yeah. we find out where Dave Gibbons lives. No, we're joking, yeah, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually know where he lives. Let's uh, let's plan. <laughs> right, good. The uh, um, and then um, tragically, fake thing um, heads off into towards the sort of the burning um, atmosphere of the Earth on a lump of rock. It's the it's the Earth, isn't it? I get confused. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. So they're negatively charged, and they're coming towards a positively charged Earth, and they're being destroyed. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we flash to where Ben Grimm really is. 
whose suit is now lovely and blue. And he's off he's off to woo now that he's a human. He's got human form. He's off to woo Alicia again. Yep. Um, she was uh, a nice lady, but she she did uh, sort of play with his emotions for a while. She was going out with Johnny Storm, wasn't she? I think so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's been on off over the years, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he goes off to woo her, knocks on the door, um, but because this fake thing has clearly died at that moment, the powers have been transformed back to him, and he becomes the thing. And there's never been a cooler picture of the thing in a suit than the top right-hand corner of that page. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's just shocked. Yes. Um, and I remember reading that as a kid and thinking, look at those boots all ripped at the back. That's because he's got big feet. That's amazing. Yeah. Love that bit of detail. Yeah. And Good. then he races off back to the Baxter building in order to clobber the imposter. But uh, uh, of course instead, he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. He paid the full price and he paid it like a man. Says Reed Richards in the last panel of this comic on the last page as uh, they realise what's happened and yeah. that uh, somebody has been... Uh, what does he say? Try not to judge him too harshly, Ben. Somehow at your the last minute, some of your heroism reached out through the endless void and touched him. There you go. Yeah. Now that is brilliant. A brilliant line. Um, and that leads into our conversation about who did what. Right. I think I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Now, I was watching a documentary on YouTube. Um, there's a five-part Jack Kirby documentary on there. And, and one of our favourites, Barry Windsor-Smith, in the documentary said if it was left to Jack to script it, it would have been a bust, meaning it wouldn't have been successful. So to me, because there are allegations out there floating around there that Jack had, uh, that Frank, that Stan had literally virtually nothing to do with the creation of these comics. But I think his dialogue is clear. That's clearly Stan dialogue to me. I don't know about you. Well, I mean, later on in the 70s, when Kirby starts dialogue in his own comics, we realise that yeah. that's not his forte. Dialogue is not his forte. And actually, yeah, agreed. you know, we shouldn't, you know, if you wanted the perfect partnership, you want somebody else like Stanley doing the dialogue for it. Um, so, yeah, no, I think this is clearly Stanley would then go and dialogue the comics. What has been in debate and dispute for years and years and years is how much original story input Stan has at this stage. Yeah. Because we all know Stan was doing a lot of stuff. He was busy. He was being the public face of the company. He was popping yeah. up in newspaper articles, controversial newspaper articles, as it turns out. He was turning up on radio stations. He was doing talks at college campuses. He was sort of dialoguing how many comics a month, probably? You know... Yeah, ten or twelve comics a month. He was be, doing. I know he got his brother in at one point, didn't he? he yeah, would, yeah, to do a couple of things to sort of. I've I've heard this, the phrase Dan use of I stumbled into the Marvel method. Yeah, is the phrase. Now this this is becomes a controversial subject. I didn't realise it was quite so controversial until I sort of started doing the reading because it was it's always just been this thing, the Marvel method, and there are various layers of Marvel method. Marvel, Marvel method. There's the the method where you give someone a breakdown of pages. And then they, you, you come back later and then you dialogue, but which may have gone on. Um, but what it's more likely is that, and this is, there's a lot of stories of people who tell this, where people would go into Stan's office and he would act out the comic for them. Yes. Um, by even jumping on the table and, you know, adopting poses and stuff like that. And whilst um, for part of his career, Jack lived in California, there was still allegedly those phone calls. And there's um, 
uh, I think, I can't remember who it was. Was it, it might have been Len Wein, I think, tells a story about being around Jack's house when Stan phoned him and talked through the Silver Surfer story with him on the phone. Right. Now, he doesn't make it clear whether that's the first Silver Surfer or is that's the later two, but he does seem to indicate that the Silver Surfer story was communicated over the phone about it. Now, right. I wonder if that's what happened here. Yeah. And because famously, of course, I think they both, they sort of agree a bit on this, is that when Kirby draws the Silver Surfer, Stan Lee first says, who's this guy, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always, for years and years, I was with the um, Stan Lee jumping around the office and telling the stories and the artists taking notes and then going away and drawing it. Um, okay. Um, and of course, we... We know that at least one of those episodes was probably put on for a newspaper article. It was a sort of, yeah. it was a slight yeah. contrivance. But, you know, so how much they talked before the art and how much they talked after the art has always been controversial. And you, you hear yeah. Stan and Jack talk about it on various documentaries and interviews, don't you? Yeah, and if you really dig into it, and we have done, and read different accounts um at even it's not even different accounts it's like the two men tell different stories at different points so i think kirby's quote is saying i came in with spider-man the hulk the fantastic four i didn't fall around which is when kirby came there's this story isn't there that kirby came to the marvel offices um again years later you know in the in the late 50s early 60s and the furniture was being moved out and according to him stan was crying yes and he was saying it he was saying at that point but stan denies that happening and when you actually look into it some of these weren't created for a number of years later um and obviously the the issue about spider-man because spider-man first went to jack jack drew something completely different and then it went back then he gave it to ditko but then jack helped on the cover of amazing fantasy and it's yeah i mean yeah i can't remember what i had for breakfast two weeks ago do you know what i mean so how these guys remember the exact toings and throwings i'm sure is difficult and people um, weren't writing this stuff down there wasn't yeah. you know there wasn't an official archivist then there wasn't a mark evanier who was documenting everything that kirby did um it was yeah. you know because as we've often said these comics were designed in a way to be throw away media they were disposable you know it was going to be one month and then you're on to the next month and you know but yeah. uh, and and likewise, the yeah. creation of them is a bit lost in the mysteries of time. And both Stan and Jack have told stories about it. And obviously, I think in their stories, they both tend to go with their own, their own version, their own creative uh, yeah. talents. And it's understandable, you know. Of course, they would. These these are huge characters um, they created together, um, who've become. You know, some of these characters are now become like the biggest selling movie yeah. characters of all time. Thousands um, and thousands of people's jobs depend on these characters. Absolutely, you know, yeah. It's not more. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It's um I I think mistakes were made. I think Stan made a lot of mistakes. I'm 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 a huge I'm a big Stan fan. My last dog was called Stan, and I'd like to point out my current dog is called Jack, for those that don't you know. But the I, I, I don't think... I think Len Wein summed it up, and I, I really like Len Wein. I thought he was a brilliant guy, and he said um, Jack made the comics and Stan sold the comics. But I think there's more to it. I think Stan sold the comics through that exuberant dialoguing and editorialising and um, 
um, sort of proof, you know, the um, the advertising proof stuff that he did. I think there's a there's a real there's a, there's a, there's both of them are involved in this comic, and I can see both of them in in this uh, certainly in this comic. Absolutely, I and mean, I mean, the reason, you know, one of the reasons we love Stan and we love Marvel was because of Stan's chatty nature, the way he spoke to us in his columns and in yeah. his uh, in his in his credit boxes and so on, um, and his cover blurbs and all that. It was part of it, and it's a bit like. You know, that famous creative partnership from the 60s, Lennon and McCarthy. Lee and Kirby were both great in the future, but they were never as great as this time when they were together creating the Marvel Universe, creating all these characters. And it's just, you know, like, like Kirby Crackle and Cosmic Energy, this stuff was humming with energy and excitement. Um, And I don't think they were ever as good again uh, personally, as as they were when they were together, yeah, this is this was amazing. I mean, this is I I, I just love it so much. I think um, I think Stan made a few mistakes where he accepted and just carried along the narrative that he was the creator. I think, yes. but I think a lot of that time that was from interviews and you know exuberant anchors and you know Biff Powell, here's the creator of Spider Man. You know, it's like that. And, of course, um, people, you know, interviews would occasionally say the man who created Captain America, and Stan yeah. wouldn't necessarily correct them, even though, you know, we all know that was yeah. he had nothing to do with the, the creation of Captain America. Um, so, yeah, and, and, of course, one of the mistakes I think Stan made, looking back on it, was around about 1966. This is when the infamous article was published in the Herald Tribune newspaper in America, which made Stan look like the creative genius and and referred to Jack Kirby as looking like an assistant manager in a girdle factory. Yeah. And we know, we know from various biographies, including the the one we've just read that, you know, this sent, um, it set Ros Kirby on the warpath, I think, (laughs) you know, quite rightly. And, the other thing was that at this point, Kirby wasn't getting the recognition. He wasn't getting the money. And the one thing we all know from Kirby's career is it wasn't that he wanted to be rich. He just wanted his family to be supported and comfortable, didn't he? Yeah, and he wanted yeah. to get paid properly. And at, at, towards the second part of the 1960s, Kirby makes a decision, which is, I'm not going to create new characters for them because they're not giving me any of the the sort of kickback, as it were, or any yeah, of the money. Yeah, T-shirt money and yeah. all that sort of thing, yeah. yeah. So he stops creating new characters for Marvel, and he just carries on doing the ones they've already created. Now, obviously, he's got some of this stuff, like the New Gods, which he will do when he gets to DC, although I don't think even DC treated him properly in the yeah. 70s, um, you know, redrawing his Superman faces and things like that. That's true. Yeah. Um, but... If you think, if Stan had gone to Martin Goodman and said, you know, Jack Kirby is this company, we've got to pay him properly, just think what he could create in the next five years if we pay him properly, then the latter part of the 1960s, what would we have got from Stan and Jack? Yeah, the new, go- the new yeah. gods would have been a Marvel thing. And I think the new gods would... I'm, I absolutely love the new gods. I think it's incredible. Um, but it needed reigning in yes and it yeah. needed make just giving it that one thing that would have allowed it to sell better and would have continued 
Yeah. And it probably sold pretty good, but they still cancelled it. They cancelled you know, it after we, 11, didn't we, they? Yeah. We hit the DC implosion and everything, but it's still... And same with Mr. Miracle. I think it's the, the possibilities for those books, um, perhaps not so much OMAC and stuff. It was all a bit wacky by that point. But, um, yeah, I think you're right, man. I think and they'd you have been, you know, Mr. Miracle would have been in the Avengers and yeah. uh, Avengers Endgame. They'd have been fighting Darkseid. Yeah, and um, the... Um, and the Eternals movie that the the New Gods movie that's just been cancelled would in fact be the Eternals movie that we're uh, we're going to see at the end of the year, hopefully. And Ava yeah. DuVernay was going to direct the New Gods, and Tom King was going to write it. Is that right? Yeah, and they've just announced it's been it's gone back onto production hell shelf again, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, they have. I um, I'm I'll be honest with you, I'm a little sick of it all. Right. To be fair, I'm I'm a fan of comics first and comics will never be yes. better it will always be better than movies but i don't i don't want a new gods movie if it's not jack yeah I, I, I tom king as much as i've enjoyed some of his stuff it'll just be about another bloke who's suicidal and a bit down i don't want that again you know <laughs> um yeah we'll see i okay. mean i've i'm hoping that i'm hoping the eternals is going to be good i know the black knights in it isn't he i think um so fingers crossed but yeah there's a i'm a i'm an old softy uh, I mean, you know that. But the one of the my favourite things in any of these books is the picture of pre-Irish Jig, Stan and Jack in 1966, which is when this came out at a dinner, and they're both laughing their faces off. Oh, and yes. Jack has got his hand on his arm because yeah. they're both joining and saying, and it's the best thing. And that's how I want to remember them. Yeah. Why? Why? Abraham Rice. Well, I know why Abraham Riceman wrote this book because he wanted a few quid. But there's no need for this nonsense. I don't think we really need it to pick it apart anymore um so i mean as somebody said i think on an amazon review when when a famous person dies you get two biographies come out you get the the praising one and you get the sort of um the destructed the damn demolition job and the true believer the rise and fall of stanley is unfortunately is the demolition job um and doesn't paint Stan in a in a sort of I have to admit I've only read the middle and last thirds I skipped all the early stuff up until the end. To be fair, they go. I think there's a competition amongst um, biographers these days to go back as far as they can. Yeah. I think if he could have gone back to the Stone Age, he would have done in this book because right. the first third of it, I think you can probably do away with man. Yeah. I'll be honest. Right. Yeah. 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 But yeah. But there you go. Um, yeah, so what could have happened with Jack and Stan in the latter part of the 60s and the 70s if they'd stayed working as a team? But yeah, I love that photo of them together. That's what you want, Stan yeah. and Jack. It's like Lennon McCarthy. It's like that great, you know, you just want them there, happy, getting on, producing this great stuff, this uh, literally this Kirby crackle of excitement. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think there's a, there's a dynamic to a story being worked on between two people separately i think there's there's the possibility over a period of years to be a disagreement you know i think so um and i think that's maybe what happened on occasion but i like to think the best yeah good stuff good now i'm looking forward to hearing about the um original art conversation we're going to have um on your podcast dude did you want to mention the fact that a lot of a lot of um jack's artwork actually went missing this is a, a big Big thing, we won't cover it in a huge detail, but there was an awful lot of it that went missing, wasn't there? So Jack Kirby, we know, was one of the most prolific artists of the 60s. Um, He's like, you know, for us Brits, he's like Carlos Esquerra in that he could just do this He's about the nearest I could say. I was trying to think, who do I compare Stan and Jack to? And I think it's Wagner and 
a square, isn't yeah, it? I think it is. Yeah. And so we know that at some points in the sixties, he was literally doing five of these pages a day. He was doing. Yeah. So there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Jack pages, and various people over the years took on the cause of you know restoring artwork to the original artists. And at some point in the 1980s, we know there was this Marvel inventory that's quite well known, and they yeah. tried to work out how many pages they had left because probably, or you know, I think literally thousands of Jack Kirby pages were either given away or stolen, and they still exist, and they yeah. are in collections, and the provenance of some of his artwork... Now, we think from our researches that the splash page for This Man, This Monster was probably included in the Marvel inventory and therefore probably was returned to Jack. Right. So yeah. I think... That I'm fairly, I'm reasonably confident that Mark McDermott's art that he owns probably did, you know, make Jack some more money. Thank goodness. Because I know that Kirby's son sells a lot of his art, doesn't he? Is it Jeremy Kirby? Is it Jeremy Kirby that we follow on Twitter? And he's is he's son or grandson? Might be grandson. Grandson. And he's a he sounds like a decent guy who's obviously you know. because I mean, you know, reading True Believers, the relatives of these famous creators are not always. Um, yeah, but anyway, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, but yeah, yeah Jeremy I, I Kirby love... seems like a decent guy who's you know, obviously determined to preserve the memory of his father, his grandfather's legacy. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, tomorrow, hopefully, or in the day after this podcast comes out, if you go to megacitybookclub.com, you will find an episode which is going to be episode one fifty two, an interview with Mark McDermott about the um, how he came to own the splash page from this issue and the the auction. And as you say, Tony, it's quite an exciting story, actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if there's ever a page I wanted, it would be this one. I don't yeah. know about you. It's the Grail page of Grail pages, isn't it? Yeah, Kirby's so good. I saw a um, a description of why he's so good. I heard I heard Mike Royer give a description of why he is so dynamic in what he draws. And Mike's and Royer said, who was his inker for years at DC, especially, um, and later, sorry, at DC and then at Marvel, I think, wasn't he? He said Jack drew the first the fist in someone's face was in a different time zone from the foot in the back of the page, and I thought it was a great description of it. Um, he and he evolved. He evolved into an impressionist. Yeah. Because um, there's people. There's various people who will not Kirby and say, "Oh, look, you, you know, this was off and this was this wasn't great and stuff like that." But there's no doubting the the dynamism of his art. I think that's how I feel about it. And, you know, and I one of the things, Dayman, and I look at his art weekly. Weekly, I look at Kirby art. You know, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I think one of the things in the Tom Scioli um, graphic novel of Jack Kirby, the Epic Life of the King of Com- Comics, was that I got was that Kirby literally said i want i want stuff to explode off the page i want it to break out of the page into the reader's life and that's yeah. why or at least to me that's sort of you get that um because kirby's famous for the hands coming out of the page towards you and yeah. as you just yeah. said you know the, the the character's foot at the back of the panel is in a different time zone to the the hand that's coming out yeah. to punch you or to reach out for you and the crackling energy around the borders of the page you know i mean there's there's one panel there's a couple of panels in this comic where the thing is in the negative zone and the kirby crackle around him as he's been dragged by the line it's yeah the, the energy 
and uh, the exuberance, the the just the, the 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 sheer talent and imagination. And I know lots of people. Sometimes when you first look at Kirby, you think, "Well, this looks a bit strange." You know, well, yeah. I don't know what's going yeah. on. But the if you if you just stick with it. The beauty yeah, of the artwork, so it doesn't. It, it yeah. does, and it is just the most wonderful thing. And we haven't mentioned one book we haven't mentioned: Kirby, the King of Comics by Mark Evanier. Oh yeah, some Great. of the artwork and the pencil sketches and the inked artwork in oh, that. So good, and yeah. it's a big coffee table book. Oh, that's the one to get. I think it, that is, I, I agree, man. That is the one you want to get. Yeah, I think so because it's equal equal parts biography, equal parts art. This is what you want. Yeah. Um, and there's the big fold-out poster, New Gods poster, which is I almost feel like buying another copy just to rip out and get framed. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, also worthy of mention are two Moros who do Jack Kirby Collector, um, which is um, an oversized, almost artboard-sized um, magazine um, which focuses in on different things. I've got, I've got, I collect them, and they're they're just amazing. Well, they don't fit on any of my shelves, so they have to lean against the wall. But they're like getting a um, an artist edition, but for a, a portion of the price you know i think that's where it sits okay. um he's had a couple of artist editions i think there's a new gods artist edition isn't there i think yes that's um, right yeah and there's a fantastic four artisan edition coming out i think in june which i've pre-ordered you can pre-order it on amazon at the moment which is his pencils which should be good and i think some of the inks as well and i'm Great just going to mention a podcast yeah. i'm going to mention the awesome comics podcast episode 180 that's the stan lee special but also awesome comics episode 1112 which was a jack kirby special um where yourself and uh, the rest of the three amigos and i can't remember the name of your guest you had on that episode. matt harrow we had on matt, matt harrow, yeah, yeah um talk about kirby it's uh, a nice experiment that because Vince and I know Matt was a big fan of his, so we got him on. But Matt, and, uh, Vince and Dan weren't huge Kirby fans and hadn't read a huge amount. And I, I sent them both some um, Fourth World books to read, and they loved them, absolutely loved them. Yeah, yeah. It's just, they're really nice. Yeah, you just got to look at the pages. Uh, yeah, get yourself Fantastic Four fifty one. Or you know, to be honest, those ten issues around issue fifty of Fantastic Four, where yeah. you've got Silver Surfer, Galactus, the Inhumans, Black Panther, and this issue. Wow! Yeah, incredible. Yeah, yeah. I bought um, I bought the Mad Bomb Captain America stuff a couple of weeks ago. That just came out in an omnibus, um, and um, I bought I've had for a, a while the Silver Surfer uh, omnibus as well. Which be careful if you're a Silver Surfer fan. It's not Kirby until the last issue, and in the last issue, sort of Kirby just reflects his feelings about the Marvel universe in the very last issue. Right, about he's going to destroy it all. Which is a bit <laughs> of a change of pace, but yeah, that was a John Buscema mostly, but um, lovely as well. Great stuff. Good man, I knew he'd overrun on that one, but that's good. Well, it's Jack that's Kirby. Good, it's Stanley and Jack Kirby. It's the sixties. Yeah. There's so much to talk about. We haven't even scratched the, uh, the surface in a way. Yeah, we haven't, man. I've got the most notes I've ever written for any of our episodes here. Right. And uh, yeah, you're right. We haven't. But uh, quickly, let's talk a little bit about what you're up to, man. So the countdown is now that you're a comic scholar, I believe it's the phrase. Yeah, going the countdown to be. is on. The countdown is on to, is it September when you start, is it? Last week of September, I start as a university student again, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm going to go to Freshers Week. <laughs> I'm going to join all the clubs. <laughs> graphic novel club. Graphic novel about club, biographical yeah. comics, and you're trying to talk about Nemesis, the warlock. Yeah. I've just I got say, this picture of it, yeah. Have yeah. you read Fantastic Four 51? Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I know we're supposed to be talking about fun home, but yeah, Fantastic Four Fifty One. He's got a Kirby machine in his cupboard. Um, yeah, so that happens later in the year. I will be uh, going back to university, which I'm very excited about, and I will be talking about it maybe on a podcast uh, oh, at some point in then, the future. Yeah. Um, I had a little look at their um, a little look at their program actually online. Oh right, there's a lot of um, they they do deal with a lot of sort of politics and comics and stuff like that, don't they? Yeah. I, yeah. I, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to that pushing me and challenging me yeah. and making me read new stuff, like your podcast does, which makes me read new stuff. Um, Good stuff, man. Yeah. And on yours, we've, um, I've been listening to a few recently. So you took another dive back into Swamp Thing, which I, endure, I adored. Yes, we did Swamp again, Thing with Tony Foster from Comic Scene. And uh, then there's this issue, Fantastic 451 is coming out tomorrow. And yep. then I think after that, it's Skiz, the Alan Moore alien story, E.T. story. Oh, uh, right. I must reread that. And then uh, Darkie's Mob. I don't know if you've come across that brutal yes. war yeah. comic from the 70s by John Wagner and Mike Weston. Uh, yeah, so quite a lot coming up in the next uh, few weeks. Oh, good stuff, man. Weeks. I've yeah. got, as ever, I've got loads of guests trying to, like yourself, trying to sort of schedule them all while also doing a full-time job. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, anyway, bad. it's yeah. fun. It's the good stuff. It is good, man. It is good. Yeah. Are you gonna? Do you think your podcast will switch a little bit more to the sort of academic? I know you've had the lady from Misty on. Apologies, Julia Round. Yeah, Julia Round. Yeah, she messaged me recently. Actually, it was lovely because she listened to Sarah's Misty episode. Um, we, and we 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 emailed back and forwards a bit, and she's very sort of academic, but a fan as well, which I kind of like. She's know. got that huge enthusiasm for it as well, which is great. And uh, her academic knowledge about these uh, subjects is fantastic. And she's very inspirational. But yeah, no, I don't think so. I'm going to try. I'm really going to try and get some. I know I've drifted a little bit away from 2000 AD. I'm going to try and have a 2000 AD season where we really get to some of the stories that haven't been done. Like Bad Company yeah. is coming up. Bad Company oh, is the one. Yeah. That's by Peter Milligan, Brett Ewins, Jim McCarthy. And Brad, that's the one I get asked about the most, actually, is when are you doing an episode on Bad Company, which is uh, okay. interesting. So that's coming up. Yeah, I've got up. The, um, the collections of that over there. I'm just looking at them now. Yeah, I really enjoyed that when it came out. I found it, it's almost like something continues on from Charlie's War. It's almost, yeah. there's that, isn't there? The horror of war thing it going is, on, which yeah. I really like. Yeah. 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 So there's that, and there'll be some more Slain, some more um, Nikolai Dante coming up, some more Zenith. Uh, all of these things hopefully coming up in the next year. Well, I, I like to think that you influence the releases that come out from 2018 now as well, because you did that one. What's the game? It's not, not Death Bowl. What's it called again? Um, oh, Mean Arena. And then they bought Mean out Arena. a digital collection. Yes. They like weeks later. Yeah. It was great because I was listening to your episode and thinking, oh, I really want to read that. And then a couple of weeks later, I get the email through from 2018 saying, oh, by the way, this is released. I'm thinking, phew, I don't have to dig through the back, you know, the back issue boxes in my back bedroom to find it. Um, yeah, but that was just a digital release, wasn't it? I think it wasn't. Uh, yeah, they're doing quite a few of these now, where they're just trying some of the old ones as a digital only release to see how it goes. And uh, you know, I guess it's a good it's a good bet for them because they don't, you know, they don't have to go to the trouble of printing a lot of books and putting them in a warehouse somewhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would say that I'm completely unconnected to Rebellion. I've got nothing to do with them, and I don't think they, I don't think they particularly want anything to do with me either. But <laughs> that's a rebellion for you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, man. Good. 
Well, where can we find you online? Where can we find your podcast? Uh, megacitybookclub.com or on Twitter at MCBC Podcast. And uh, that's where you'll find me and uh, news of all the uh, episodes that come out, including an episode to tie into this very episode of the Never Iron Anything podcast. I sound like I know what I'm doing there, don't I? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we I'm present. just chilling like yeah. Stan. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as Eamon has now referred to me, we are the men who cannot be hanged. Um, and uh, keep your eye out for the Patreon because it should have dropped a couple of you know, yesterday, a couple of days ago, even um, for the new the new comic George Mayhem out of Tribute Press. We're hoping it's going to drop soon, but keep you're, your eyes out for that. And you're I'll not having trouble with a crowdfunding platform by any chance? Are Weird, you isn't it? Weird. <laughs> I don't know what's happened. I don't know because they have, they've only seen the first four or five pages. I don't even know if they've seen the advert we did, which had our main character being crucified on Good Friday. Because that advert's gone out the window now, hasn't it? Well, yeah. I was going to oh. say possibly <laughs> that image of the character hanging on the cross to release on Good Friday. Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I suggested it during our little meeting that we had, and I said, and it, and um, I think Daryl said to me, "You being serious?" I said, "I am being serious about that." Yes, and um, Adam sort of just encourages me as he is wont to. Um, but we've um, uh, we've got the we've got the uh, that that's ready to go. So we've done the whole issue. So come on, Patreon, hurry up because we can put it all out. And um, Adam and I are working on the the following issue for the Patreon at the moment, which uh, I sent in the first script for yesterday. So we're very excited. But yeah, we'll see what happens. See what happens. And if yeah. you go to the Tribute Press uh, website, I think you'll see a little bit of Kirby Crackle on the logo. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah he loves a bit of Kirby. Yeah, we we included a bit in uh, Atomic Hercules from now and now and then did, as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Also, not a bad band. No, that's right. Sort of themed music. Actually, not too bad. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, man. And uh, we'll continue chatting. But I'll say goodbye to the moment. Cheers, dude. Cheers, honey. 